welcome back to Big Fish Little Pod. This is Amy. I wanted to share a little bit about grandfathers today. That's what our episode is going to be about. My grandpa Hollis died 10 years ago now, and we all went home for his funeral, which actually was set up more kind of like a storytelling open mic session than your typical church service. And so many people came. It was really touching to share their stories about the ways that my grandfather had impacted their life. And I sat in the pew next to my brother, and I considered going up to the pulpit to share some anecdotes about my grandfather that I had close in my heart. But I was worried because everybody was really emotional and crying, and I just wasn't. I really loved my grandfather, but it felt like a natural progression of life to me that he had passed on and I wasn't really upset about it. So I was worried that if I went up there and kind of kept my cool that I would come off really cold and unfeeling. So I was considering what to say and whether it would be worth going up when my brother actually stood up and passed in front of me to go to the pulpit. He shared really beautifully, and he cried, and it was really touching. But as he walked back to the pew, I was thinking, God, I can't go up now. After he gave this beautiful, emotional, tearful story about my grandfather, I would really look like a cold, unfeeling granddaughter. But I had already thought of a few things to say, so I thought, why not just go up and share, and it was okay if I didn't get upset. So I walked up to the pulpit, and as I turned around to face the congregation, I lost it. I mean, not like a pretty cry, like an awful, choking, coughing, wailing sob. I actually distinctly remember the sound that came out of my mouth. It was just like this high-pitched cough cry thing. I couldn't stop. I couldn't get a single word out. It was really awful. I remember frantically searching the congregation for like a steady pair of eyes from my family, someone who could ground me. Everybody was crying. Even Annika Capri got a nosebleed. It was awful. So I, I managed to share a few things. My dad came up and kind of held me to help calm me down. And I made my way back down to the pew I remember I sat next to my brother and he turned to me with tears in his eyes and said, it's not as easy as it looks, right? But it was a really special moment, actually, and I think back on it fondly. I'm glad that I went up and I'm glad that my grandfather's life and death really touched me that much. And that's what my dad is going to talk about today. In this episode, we're going to talk about two of my dad's grandfathers and the effect that their lives had on him. And the effect that their end-of-life choices still have on him now. I hope you enjoy. In one of my devotions this week, I was reminded of the passage from Hebrews 12, which talks about the great cloud of witnesses that surround us, the people who have led us on our journey from birth to death, and more so who have led us in life. Today, I'd like to focus on just two of them, my two grandfathers. Both my grandfathers, in my opinion, were great men because they were loving. They were also 
very hard workers. Um, they provided for their families, even when times were tough. They cared for people that were sick or homeless or hungry. And they were both men who took their participation in church very seriously and knew that they weren't just there to receive, but that they were there to give. And so they're both men that I respected, I learned from, and I loved. At the end of their life, they both taught me something really valuable. And yet for my grandpa Parmalee, it wasn't as pretty as as the rest of his life had been. My grandfather Parmalee had a stroke. And instead of being able to walk five miles a day, which he did every morning, he could only walk one. And he had to work pretty hard to do that. But instead of rising to that occasion, like he had done all the rest of his life, he actually got angry at God. And I'm sure if not with his mouth, he said in his head over and over and over again, I lived a life for God and I deserved to just die in my sleep. For the first time in my life, my grandfather became a bitter, angry man. And he wasn't nice to my grandmother who was taking care of him and to his children who he loved dearly. He was so upset at God that that's what he shared with everyone who came as he sat in his chair. My other grandfather, my grandfather Hollis, had had an accident when he was young that affected his nerves, and it started in his feet, which made his feet a really weird combination of extremely sensitive in places. So like if he stepped on a rock or something, it hurt, and yet also numbed his feet so that walking was, was difficult. As he got older, that numbness and that sensitivity creeped up his body through the years so that by the time he was in the nursing home at the end of his days, the numbness and the really sensitive pain had gotten all the way up to his neck. He would say with his mouth and with his life, if I'm still here on this earth, I'm here for a reason. God has put me here for a reason. And so even though he couldn't be out and about and he was in pain or numbness all the time, nurses would come flock to his room to take care of him because they just wanted to be in his presence. And those two different end of life experiences taught me so much because they came from one response. My, my grandfather Parmalee was mad at God because God didn't give him what he deserved. And my grandpa Hollis was at that point where he said, I'm here for God's reasons and I'm going to do what I can do as long as I can do it. Though their two lives, and especially the ending of their lives, challenged me. They challenged me to, to rise to the occasion and look at my life and say, what kind of witness do you want to be for the people you live with, for the people you work with, for the people you meet out on the street? 
how do you want to live your life and what kind of witness do you want to leave in the wake of your life? Yeah, I guess what I was thinking while you're talking was, you know, we, we have this idea of who do we want to emulate? Who do we want to be like? But I'm, I'm wondering if your grandpa Parmalee, who it sounds like he was such a great man until this like difficult transition happened for him at the end, like would he have even wanted to emulate that? Right. You know, like, so I think from, it's almost unfair for us to look at it from this perspective of, we can see it so clearly in black and white in a 2020 vision kind of way, these two examples, but that's not really how life goes, right? Like Grandpa Parmalee would right. have wanted that he stayed true and loyal in his relationship to God through the end and expressed that like love that he felt from God to others until the end. And I can imagine it sounds like, I didn't really know him, but it sounds like the man that he was throughout his life, that would have been the expectation that he would have continued. Right. And I'm, I'm sure that in his 60s, he died in his 80s. In his 60s, if asked at a at a Sunday school class or at a at a conference, he would have said, "No matter what happens to me in my life, I want to be true to my highest calling." Right. He would have said that. And right. so I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was just his anger that he didn't get what he deserved, or if the stroke killed only the part of his brain that could make that transition right because that could have happened right maybe he wasn't capable of making that transition right right and so that's i guess that's what i would hope Mm -hmm. yeah you know but for our story and for the lesson that it taught me Mm -hmm. is that when life comes our way as life does I can either hopefully I can choose whether to get angry at what has happened Mm -hmm. or say why am I here and what is it that I'm supposed to be about now but I hear what you're saying in terms of the story that it played in your life and the lesson that it taught you um, I think it is a an interesting question, you know, which path are we going to take, right? And especially in these difficult, unexpected moments, which I think for many people do come near the end of life, but for many of us happen um, at other times as well, like, which, which path are we going to take? And absolutely, I think similarly to your grandfather's like it might catch you off guard or you might not have the full capacity that you would have expected in that moment. These, when these moments come, we're not at our best. We, we are reacting in a knee jerk way. We have deep rooted defense mechanisms and stories that we tell ourselves that we have been telling ourselves since birth. And we are not in this place of clarity and 2020 vision that you have from the story of your two grandfathers. And so I'm wondering how in those challenging moments when we don't have the full toolkit, when we're not in the best mindset, how can we expect ourselves to make the best choice? And I, I don't 
you know, I don't know, but for me, the lesson of their end of life experiences has taught me to say, what kind of a witness do I want to be? What kind of a witness, what kind of a legacy do I want to leave for the people around me? I think really quickly back to college. Um, those who knew me in college and those who I didn't hide it from, sorry, mom and dad, um, mm -hmm. knew that I drank a ton. By the time I graduated from college, I was drinking a case of beer a day. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm not an alcoholic. Um, I just drank because everybody was drinking and people laughed at my jokes when they were drunk. Um, and it just was a lifestyle thing at that point. But, and it started from, from freshman year on. Well, my second year of college, um, there was a, a freshman who came onto our floor. He was, he made all American as a freshman mm -hmm. in football. He made all American third team for division three football. Um, and then he hung out with us for a year and he didn't even make the football team his second year because the lifestyle that we were living was not one that a serious football player should be living. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even though I was fine with my drinking and getting all A's and doing all the things in college that I wanted to do. Right. Right. He couldn't handle living with us. Not my fault that he drank too much or that he followed in our footsteps. Yeah. But it's not, not my fault either. You know, he looked up to us as upperclassmen, joined in with us, did what we did, and it wrecked his life. And, and I got to the point, that's when God woke me up and said, Bob, is this really the influence you want to have on other people? Mm -hmm. And so that's when I stopped a lot of my drinking or made sure who I was drinking with. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it taught me that the way I choose to live my life definitely affects other people. And it made me start asking, mm -hmm. how did you live your life today? And what influence did you leave behind? Yeah. I'm in my class last semester we talked about the idea of paradigm shifts. And so it sounds like that that was like a paradigm shift for you. You know? Like a sudden moment of waking up, taking on a level of self awareness that you hadn't before and realizing the direction your life was going and the effect that it was having on others, which then caused like a major shift in your behavior and has stuck basically. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, you don't like, 
I can I can probably count on my two hands like the number of times I've seen you drink alcohol. <laughs> like you're not a big yeah. drinker, you know. I'm not sure I drink a case in a year. Yeah. <laughs> but those paradigm shifts sometimes are not that common in our lives. Like they happen and major changes occur, but they usually come from like what we learned in my class, they usually come from an outside experience like that when you 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 watched this boy struggle and so then you had a paradigm shift, you know. So how, you know, if we hear that story of your two grandfathers, we look at our own lives. How do we come to a place of awareness about where our behavior is leading us? And how do we shift in the moment? You know, I'm thinking, I heard um, recently that you shouldn't uh, follow advice from someone whose life you don't want to emulate. And so I was thinking about that when I got an email from work, we all got the same email and it had some news in it that I wasn't super excited about. And I bumped into one of the women from my work who I really admire. And I said to her, like, I really am not happy with this email. And she said, yeah, you know, I think I would just let it go. You know, just kind of don't worry about it. Like it'll cycle through. I think better you just kind of keep a hands-off approach on it. And she has actually been here for 30 years in this organization, and I really admire her. I admire her um, personal interactions with people. I admire her work ethic. I admire her spiritual practice. And I had really been meditating on her recently and how I would like to follow the things that she does. And so when she said that, I thought, I should have that approach. I should do what she said. I mean, she just gave me specific advice. And I thought, to myself that I would, but I didn't. When I got back to my desk, I read the email again and it upset me again. And I immediately wrote back to it. And I, I didn't write in a bad way or a passionate way, but I wrote back and I just said, I really don't like this. And um, can you please like give me clarity because I must be misunderstanding this. And that night I went to bed and I just thought like, why did I do that? Why did I write? Why did I write that? And then I just regretted having written it. And the next day, like uh, my supervisor wrote me back and it was all fine and everything. But that was weeks ago now. And honestly, nothing came from that event. Like the whole thing just blew over and it was nothing. It was just like what that woman had said. And so it was just very interesting because I guess it was a practical experience of exactly what you're describing. And I was in a certain level of self-awareness, yet my reaction was still the knee-jerk approach that I've always taken. And I still fell into that and followed through with that as I always have. And I just, so I guess, yeah, like it's, I, I like this idea of your two grandfathers. I think it is important for us to have these people in our lives that yeah. we want to emulate. But when it comes down to like the nitty gritty moments of life, how do we follow through on our values? <laughs> so how do we how do we take the way we want to be and the way that we think is best to be and actually put it into practice when emotions take over? Yeah. Yeah, that's a darn good question. And I mean, that's what your grandpa yeah. Parmalee was experiencing, right? He was experiencing emotions. Right. And, and just like your friend who you emulate and say, I want to be like her, mm -hmm. who says, just let it blow over, Abe. But your 
emotion at that moment. I don't know what it was. Was it outrage or or just frustration or, yeah. or whatever it is you were feeling? But that became so strong for you that you just gave into it, right? Yeah, yeah. The devotional part of my my new eating healthy plan talks about the elephant. And the elephant are all those things that cause me to eat. Mm-hmm. Not just if I'm hungry, but if I'm angry or if I'm frustrated mm-hmm. or if I'm lonely or if I'm bored or if I'm whatever. All those things that cause me to eat is the elephant. Mm-hmm. And they said, the elephant can run rampant mm-hmm. if you want it to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or you can choose to get on the elephant and drive it. You can ride the elephant and control the elephant. And that's your choice. Mm-hmm. When you re- went back to your room and reread the, ele- mm-hmm. the, the email, the elephant went rampant for a while. Mm-hmm. And you wrote back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though you said, I want to be like this person, and they told me not to do anything. You felt like you had to. You were compelled. What can stop us and get us to reconsider when we're feeling compelled to make sure that it's what we want to leave as a legacy? You know? What is it that, what can help in our life? What what will make that happen for us? Yeah, that's my question. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my question. But when we were talking before, I said to you, so I just want to finish up with the idea of maybe at the end of the day, we can look at the mirror of our life and say, how did I live today? And what legacy did I leave? What witness did I leave for the people around me? And you said, yeah, that's nice, but none of us are going to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah. 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 And that's how you and I have lived both of our lives right now. Yeah. But what if we do do that? Or what makes it so that we don't do that? How do we change that? Yeah, I feel like that has been my question forever, basically. Like, all right. And I think I, I think I do make changes. And I think when I often kind of get down about this idea, I'll talk to my mom or someone, and they'll say like, "But you are living like that. You're doing this, and you're doing that, and you're doing, you know, like." Yeah. So I think it's easier seen from the outside, like I some agree. of those changes implemented in life um but i think um yeah i think i don't know listening to you talk about like having that kind of foundational reason like what you're using as an inspiration for your changes around eating i think that is there for me and i think when i think about that for me in those moments the clarity that would keep me from 
having knee-jerk reactions is the understanding that like actually I'm an eternal spiritual being. Right. And that this right. temporary physical body and life is not as important as I think it is. And right. not to then result in kind of an impersonal like none of this matters, so either just screw it all or I'm going to go live in a cave somewhere kind of reaction. But I don't know. It's like, it reminds me of the Amish. Like, you know, once a month we drive up to the Pennsylvania Dutch area near us and they have a belief system that like they're meant to be in heaven and that this life is basically just kind of a tunnel (laughs) to get them there. And so... They right. choose to live as piously right. and simply and lovingly as they can while they're here. But the point of their life on earth yep. is not the results on earth. Like the point of their life on earth is just a tunnel to get them to their afterlife. You know? And I think, I guess that's for me what that perspective right. offers right. is right. if I actually believe that I'm like an eternal spiritual being and that I'm just experiencing a temporary physical experience, then the difficulties and challenges and frustrations that come up in that temporary physical experience hold a lot less weight. Right. And and I don't necessarily want to get rid of that weight because I think living here is important. And, and that's what my grandfather mm-hmm. said. You know, my grandfather Hollis if I'm here, I'm here for a reason, you know, and he lived that reason. Um, so that's another perspective. But mm-hmm. as you were talking, the person who really came to mind is your grandmother Zabrowski. Um, she mm-hmm. had a conversation with me more than once, I think, about trying to change behaviors. She said, if you dedicate yourself to change a behavior, then the first time, maybe you don't catch yourself till somebody points it out to you that that you've done it. Maybe the next time you catch yourself right after you've done it and say, oh, why did I do that? Mm-hmm. Then the next time you catch yourself in the midst of it, but you don't have enough control to stop. Mm-hmm. Maybe the next time you catch yourself beforehand, but you give into it anyway. Mm-hmm. Maybe the next time you catch yourself beforehand and you've put in a new thought that helps you change the behavior. That sounds like it takes an eternity. Mm-hmm. You well, know? that's actually called cognitive behavioral therapy. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if she studied that, but like I've been in therapy before and the therapists have put me through that process. It's called cognitive behavioral therapy. And the way it's described is like most of our actions are habitual. Most of our actions we don't make a conscious choice about. And so it's been described to me like a wheat field. So like say you walk to school every day through a wheat field, you have a path that you walk on and that path is trotted down, but you, you don't even think about it. You just walk through the path that you've always walked on. And if you want to walk through a new path, Right. It's challenging in the beginning to try to navigate through the wheat field because 
like maybe the weed is high or there's sticks or there's snakes or you don't know. It's it's challenging to create the new path. But actually, the most challenging thing is not creating the new path. The most challenging thing is the day after when you come to the wheat field, you have to remember that you've created a new path. Yeah. Because the human brain's reaction is just to follow the original path. Because yep. even though you created that new path the day before, your brain is still in the habitual like line of thinking where you're just going to go down the old path. And so you, the hardest part is every morning remembering that you've created the new path until that path starts to become your habitual path. So then, Amy Hollis, you've already had the answer all along. <laughs> <laughs> you could have shared that with me. Thank you very much. <laughs> theoretically i have the answer theoretically right so so this week i want to know what exercises work for you in training your elephant or in making a new path in the wheat field and actually putting it into practice what has helped you all what has worked for you in taking the witness that you want to be and actually putting it into practice in your life so that you are that witness rather than just wanting to be that witness. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Big Fish Little Pod. We are super excited about this podcast and the community we are hoping to form around it. We really want you to reach out and share your responses and reflections. Right now we have three main ways to do that. You can either comment right on the podcast post on Facebook, which will be posted weekly on my dad's Bob Hollis Facebook page. You can private message him through Facebook as well, or you can email us at bigfishlittlepod at gmail.com. We will be releasing a new episode each week, and we are so excited and grateful for all of your support. Thank you so much.